Welcome everyone to the Hikes Peak Podcast. Thank you for coming back to the mountain. Week two had everything from buzzer beaters in Boise and Fresno to San Jose State, New Mexico, and Utah State's insane offensive outputs and much more. Lots of great games to recap. Then we'll go over the week three games, including college game day coming to the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Of course, with my analysis and predictions, we'll finish the show by handing out this week's Hikes Peak Weekly MVP. Let's get right into it. Let's start with arguably the biggest matchup of the week, which was UCF, the new Big 12 members coming to Boise State to the blue turf. It was an absolute rock fight in Boise. The Broncos struggled to move the ball through the air and ultimately only found the end zone twice. Shout out to the defense, though. They did give up 530 total yards, but they only allowed one touchdown in UCF's five red zone trips, which included two interceptions, a turnover over on downs and a field goal. Kalen Green remained in his sophomore slump and eventually left the game in the third quarter. Maddox Madsen, the freshman, entered in relief and almost had an all-time highlight with the first touchdown of his career giving Boise State a 16-15 lead. He dropped back on third and 10, found Stephen Cobbs across the field for the first down, who broke a tackle and took it to the house for the 28-yard go-ahead score. The two-point attempt was unsuccessful and the Knights took advantage, driving into field goal range and hitting a game-winning 40-yarder at the end of the day. If you're facing a kicker named Colton Boomer, you're probably going to lose. When Taylor Green was on the field, he really did struggle. 9 of 19, 144 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Wasn't too much of a factor running the ball. Ashton Genty got the majority of the carries with George Halani still being banged up. He had 24 carries, 115 rushing yards, as well as 5 catches, 97 receiving yards and a touchdown, which all led the team. Gentine now second in the country in scrimmage yards. A couple of defensive guys made some big plays. Seiola Depot had 10 tackles, which led the team. Alexander Tubner had an interception and six tackles. Marco Notarini had six tackles, two tackles for loss, and a sack. Overall, it's been a disappointing beginning of the season for Boise State, but there's still plenty of season to get through. If Taylor Green can figure out what's going on and get back to his old self, then the outlook for the Broncos for the rest of the season is certainly a lot different, but if he can't, this may be a bit of a struggle for that offense, especially if George Halani is out for the foreseeable future. Next up, we had UNLV going into the big house to take on number two Michigan, and it wasn't too close as expected. The Rebels were down 21-0 at halftime, 35-0 with three minutes to go in the third quarter. They did get a garbage time touchdown from Jordan Young-Humphrey. The offense just couldn't get anything going. Rebels only averaged two yards a carry, which left the entire onus on Doug Brumfield to carry that offense, and he just wasn't able to do that. 10 of 19 and 100 passing yards also had negative 11 rushing yards. We definitely talked about him needing to make his legs a factor in this game for them to get the win. The Wolverines threw the ball officially and honestly without issue, and they ran pretty well too. Blake Corum ended up getting three different touchdowns. Jeray Williams did have a pretty good game, though, with four tackles and an interception. This wasn't a game anyone expected the Rebels to win, but you certainly would have liked them to have a better showing. It doesn't really affect their long-term standing. Next, we had San Jose State taking on Cal Poly, and they were able to get their first win of the year in dominant fashion. They were up 38-0 near the end of the second quarter, and three more touchdowns in the third quarter got them all the way up to 59 points. The Spartans were phenomenal on the ground, 6.2 yards a carry, 267 total rushing yards, and the defense finally stepped up, forcing three turns 
turnovers and forcing the Mustangs to go 2 of 14 on third down. Chevin Cordero didn't have to do too much. An efficient day of 15 for 21, 205 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. Both of San Jose State's main running backs had big days. Kyrie Robinson had 124 rushing yards and two touchdowns, and Quali Conley had 60 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Chase Williams, their strong safety, also had four tackles and an interception. It's great to see San Jose State build up some momentum as they go into the rest of this season, mainly that Toledo game next week. Next, we had Wyoming after their huge upset of Texas Tech taking on Portland State in Laramie. They only ended up winning by 14, but the game certainly wasn't ever in doubt. They were up 21-0 at halftime, 31-10 with 17 minutes to go. They never led by less than seven points. The defense made a lot of plays, forcing two turnovers and getting four sacks, but they weren't particularly dominant as Portland State went 11 of 20 on third down. But a win is a win. Andrew Peasley was pretty efficient, 11 of 16, 201 passing yards, three touchdowns and an interception, also had 43 rushing yards. Sam Scott had 70 rushing yards and a fumble, so not as good of a game as he had against Texas Tech, but still pretty solid. He's filling in in that running back one role pretty well. Ayer Asante on his Randy Moss type beat with two catches, 78 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. Wyatt Eckler had his first interception of the year along with seven tackles and two TFLs. Both D tackles for Wyoming had great games. Jordan Bertignoli had seven tackles and a sack, and Cole Godbout had six tackles, two and a half TFLs, and one and a half sacks. Wyoming going into a monumental matchup with number four Texas in Austin. Next, we had a very good FCS team in Idaho coming to Reno to play Nevada, and this was the worst possible scenario for Nevada. They just got crushed by this FCS team. Idaho was up 14-3 in the first quarter, 17-6 at halftime, and ultimately 27-6 in the third quarter. Nevada actually ran the ball pretty solidly with 4.7 yards a carry, but it just didn't matter. The offense never sniffed the end zone. Brendan Lewis and A.J. Bianco combined to go 20 of 38, 148 passing yards, and two interceptions, as well as a fumble on the ground. Just for comparison, Idaho had 14.9 yards per play on pass plays. Nevada had just 3.9. I don't want to say the sky is falling in Reno, but this is certainly concerning. You really hope that they can figure out what's going wrong with that passing game and figure out how to become a competent team going into the rest of the Mountain West schedule. I don't know how realistic that is. We'll see how they do this week against Kansas, a much better opponent than Idaho, but still lots of credit to Idaho. There's a reason they're one of the best FCS teams in the country. Next up, we have San Diego State playing host to UCLA, who is in the top 25 this week. The Aztecs were in it for about a minute. It was 7-7 in the first quarter, but then UCLA was quickly up 28-10 at halftime. The Bruins scored a touchdown with 17 minutes to play to put it away officially. San Diego State just had nothing to speak of offensively. They were 5-17 of on third down. They averaged 1.9 yards a carry, which is especially important for a team that relies on the run so much. Relying on Jalen Maiden's arm clearly didn't work. He went 19 of 37, 196 passing yards, one touchdown and three interceptions, and he only ran for 18 yards. He talked about how the Bruins offense is still pretty young and they could probably make some mistakes if you force their hand, but that was not the case at all. They had 550 total yards and were averaging 6.5 yards a carry. The only silver lining for that defense was the play of Zyrus Fiasei, who had just an incredible game with 12 tackles, a sack, two TFLs, 
two forced fumbles and a deflection. Overall, a disappointing showing for the Aztecs, but there still were a couple of things to be excited about, like Fiaseu. We'll have to see what the rest of this season has in store for that offense. If they can't get their yards per carry back up to around four or five like they had been earlier in the year, then this could be a real struggle for this offense going forward. Next, we had Air Force going to play the new FBS member, Sam Houston State. We knew this was going to be a defensive struggle, but it was even more of a defensive struggle than we could have anticipated. Air Force ended up winning 13-3. to They were up 3-0 at halftime. Sam Houston State tied it at 3 with 6 minutes left in the third quarter. And then Air Force started doing Air Force things and had the ball for 17 of the final 20 minutes of the game. Some insane defensive stats. Sam Houston State only had 80 total yards, which is the lowest allowed total yard total for Air Force since they beat Navy in 2021 when they allowed only 68 yards. Just 44 passing yards, 1.2 yards a carry, and they punted on every possession besides that third quarter field goal. Owen Burke, the fullback, had a very nice game of 18 carries, 75 rushing yards, and one touchdown, which all led the team. John Lee Eldridge the third, still not affecting the game too much. Only had seven carries for 19 rushing yards. He also had 14 receiving yards. A couple of guys on the defensive end had really solid stat lines. Bo Richter had two sacks. Peyton Zadroyak had six tackles and a sack. And linebacker Alec Mock had 11 tackles and a TFL. Just the most stereotypical Air Force win you could ask for. Next, we had Tennessee Tech visiting New Mexico, and the Lobos got their first win of the year in a big way, putting up 56 points. They were up 28 to 10 at halftime, 49 to 10 with 17 minutes remaining. They had an incredible run game this game. They had 296 rushing yards. They still had 11 penalties and two turnovers, so it wasn't a perfect game, but still a lot to be excited about. Dylan Hopkins only threw the ball 17 times, but he still had 273 passing yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Ja'Cory Krosky Merritt was incredible with 12 carries, 162 rushing yards, and three touchdowns. The Lobos went six of nine on third down, had four 45-plus yard plays, and finished with 587 total yards, which is their most since they put up 680 yards in 2018 against Incarnate Word. Not the strongest opponent, but still a lot to be excited about for the Lobos. Certainly more to be excited about than the other team that went 2-10 last year. So we had Utah State's home opener against the Idaho State Bengals and oh my goodness the Aggies were ready to come out firing. It was 7-7 after the first quarter but then Utah State just exploded including a stretch of two and a half minutes where they scored 28 points. That ended up putting them up 48-7. The final was 78-28. 78 points is their most since 1919 when they put up 136 points. They had 500 191 total yards, 380 rushing yards, which was 9.3 yards per carry, their biggest rushing output since 2018 when they put up 426 against Hawaii. Cooper Laga was very efficient, a 14 for 16 performance, 125 passing yards and two passing touchdowns. A bunch of guys got in the end zone, but some of the biggest stat lines, Robert Briggs Jr. had 101 rushing yards and a touchdown. Devon Booth had six carries for 83 rushing yards and two touchdowns and Terrell Vaughn had two receiving touchdowns as well. Jaden Francois had seven tackles, a tackle and a half for loss and a 75-yard pick six. And Ike Larson had five tackles, a half of a tackle for loss and a 47-yard pick six. Obviously, the opponent isn't strong enough and they're not going to put 78 points up on Air Force next week, but still a very encouraging performance from that Aggies offense. Our second to last week two game was Fresno 
State's home opener against Eastern Washington. And this was a really close fight. The Bulldogs were up 14-3 at halftime. And then Eastern Washington went on a 21-7 run to take a three-point lead with 10 minutes to go. Fresno did end up tying it with a field goal with about seven minutes to play. In overtime, both teams traded touchdowns. Then Fresno State converted on a field goal. And on the first play of Eastern Washington's double overtime period, Lavelle Bailey got an interception to seal the win once again. Lavelle Bailey coming up clutch. But I can't emphasize enough how close this game was. Just for comparison on the yardage end, both teams passed for exactly 233 yards. And Eastern Washington ran for just two more yards than Fresno State did. The only big difference was Fresno State had one turnover and Eastern Washington had two. Mikey Keene wasn't as good as he was last week. He went 23 of 39, 223 passing yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Elijah Gilliam continues to become the clear running back one with 20 carries, 86 rushing yards, and two touchdowns. Eric Brooks continues his reign of terror with eight catches, 95 receiving yards, and a touchdown. Devo Bridges and Maurice Norris both had two TFLs apiece, and of course, Lavelle Bailey had seven tackles, a TFL, and the game-winning interception. A lot closer than Bulldog fans would like it to be, but a win is a win, and going into a big matchup against Arizona State, you gotta imagine their confidence is sky high. And our final game of week two we'll go over was Hawaii playing host to the Albany Great Danes. Hawaii ended up winning 31 to 20. It was a real even game all night. They traded scores to a 17-17 tie at halftime, but then the Rainbow Warriors defense buckled down in the second half and two Braden Shager touchdown passes put the game away. Shager had a mixed bag. He went 23 of 40, 260 six passing yards, four touchdowns, but three interceptions. Jordan Johnson was their leading rusher with 11 carries and 76 rushing yards. Stephen McBride had another incredible game with seven catches, 72 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. Logan Taylor was playing great at seven tackles and two tackles for loss, but he went down with a knee injury in the fourth quarter, and it did not look good. I haven't seen any updates on what that injury is, but I'm hoping for the best for Logan Taylor, man. And Ezra Evaimalo had four tackles, three TFLs, and two sacks. Just an incredible game for him. It wasn't the prettiest victory by any means, but it's important to get into the win column for Timmy Chang and Hawaii. So good for them. Congrats on getting to one and two. With week two wrapped up, let's get you ready for what week three has in store for us. Starting with on Friday night, Utah State visiting Air Force in both of these teams' first Mountain West game of the year. Coming off polar opposite offensive performances, the Aggies will look to keep their momentum on the ground going. They'll need all all the offense they can muster against an Air Force defense that's currently allowing five points a game. The Falcons offense doesn't look close to as lethal as last year's, but they'll still devour time of possession if you aren't careful. Utah State needs to avoid turnovers at all costs, and Air Force just has to play their game, run the ball, score a couple times, and let your defense do the rest. My prediction, Utah State has won two straight against Air Force, including a shootout in Colorado Springs in 2021. They have a knack for finding the holes in a seemingly impenetrable Falcon front. I don't see them getting a third straight win, though. Even without much offensive star power, Zach Lariat has emerged as the dynamic run threat they may have been lacking. I expect another big day from him as the Falcons control the clock and win a close defensive battle. My prediction, Air Force 17, Utah State 13. Next, we have Boise State playing host to North Dakota, the number 13th ranked team in the FCS polls. The Fighting Hawks have no plans to lay down on on the blue turf. They have an experienced and formidable offense led by Tommy Schuster and wideout Bo Belquist and the same exact offensive line as last 
last year. They'll be the next team to get a shot at picking apart the Broncos secondary. Their defense struggled last year, but has only given up 14 and a half points a game so far. They beat Northern Arizona by 15 last week and are ready to put up a fight in Boise. We'll see who the Broncos start at QB, but regardless, the run game will need to win this one. With George Helani's status in doubt, it'll be up to Ashton Genty and true freshman Breezy Dubar to manufacture the majority of their offense. My prediction with almost no momentum to speak of for the Broncos, this could be an unexpectedly close matchup. North Dakota will come out firing, maybe even taking a lead into halftime, but as always, the Broncos defense will force a few key turnovers that are the difference. Taylor Green continues to struggle, but so does Ashton GNT's rise to stardom. He racks up over 150 yards from scrimmage, leading Boise State to a much-needed and hard-fought first victory. My prediction, Boise State 31, North Dakota 23. Next, we have San Diego State taking on another very good Pac-12 team in number 16, Oregon State, who is a 25-point favorite. Oregon State has looked like one of the most formidable teams in the country. The defense has only allowed 24 points across their first two games, and the addition of DJ Uyungle has made the Beavers offense, which already had an incredible offensive line and running back in Damian Martinez, even scarier. They've scored 48 and a half points a game so far and torched UC Davis with ease last week. The Aztecs will need to force some turnovers, which is something the Beavers haven't done yet this year. They'll also need Jalen Maiden's arm to be a factor since Oregon State has the eighth best run defense in the country. My prediction, the Beavers finally see some resistance from a defense with San Diego State giving Uyungle a headache all game long, maybe even getting a takeaway. It's irrelevant, sadly, as the Aztec offense continues to sputter. Maiden is inconsistent throwing the ball and the run game doesn't perform much better than they did against UCLA when they averaged 1.9 yards a carry. Oregon State remains comfortable despite the great play of San Diego State's defense. My prediction, Oregon State 27, San Diego State 7. Next, we have Vanderbilt visiting the Strip and UNLV. Vandy is certainly better than they were last year, but they're still far from perfect after losing by 16 to Wake Forest in a game they never let in. They'll look to start 3-1 for the second straight year. Their 3-4 defense has made plays, but overall struggled to get stops consistently. The offense has been solid so far with QB AJ Swan playing pretty well and receiver Will Shepard exploding for six touchdown catches already this year. If they're efficient in their passing game, it'll be tough for UNLV to pull off the upset. My prediction, Hawaii revealed the blueprint to beat Vandy. If you can force some turnovers and hit on a few home run plays, the win is within reach. I think we'll see a much better offensive performance from Doug Brumfield and the Rebels than they had against Michigan, and I think the defense makes enough plays to keep the Commodore offense at bay. Powered by a fired-up home crowd, UNLV gets their biggest win of Barry Odom's tenure so far. My prediction, UNLV 35, Vanderbilt 34. Next, we have San Jose State taking on Toledo. The Rockets are one of the best teams in the MAC, no question. The defending conference champions bring back a ton of pieces, namely quarterback Daquan Finn and third-team All-American corner Quinion Mitchell. They were within a field goal of knocking off a very good Illinois team in their season opener and hung 73 points on Texas Southern last week. For San Jose State to win this one, they'll need to avoid turnovers and make Finn uncomfortable in the pocket. If either of those don't happen, it'll be tough sledding against this formidable Toledo squad. My prediction, based on what we've seen from the Rockets this year, they're primed to repeat as MAC champions. The defense isn't scared of anyone, and the offense has more explosiveness than ever. I don't see the Spartans being able to hold up defensively. Chevin Cordiero gets his shots in, filling up the stat sheet, but the Spartans just can't get a stop. Toledo goes too fast for San Jose State to catch up. My prediction, Toledo 49, San Jose 
State 38. Next, we have Wyoming going to Austin to play the number four Texas Longhorns, who are a 29-point favorite. Texas might actually be back. They're all the way up to number four in the AP poll after an incredibly impressive performance at Alabama, where Quinn Ewers torched the tide through the air, and the defense made a ton of plays. They had five sacks and two interceptions. They haven't run the ball too well so far, but it's going to be real tough to slow down their passing attack, which features possibly four first-round picks in Ewers, tight end Jatavion Sanders, and wide receivers Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell. Wyoming will need to shorten the game and eliminate the Longhorns' run game if they want to shock the world, which is much easier said than done, especially in a sold-out Daryl K. Royal Stadium. They'll need Andrew Peasley to be at his absolute best and the running backs to consistently pick up first downs and bleed clock. My prediction, I think the Cowboys put up a real fight in Austin. The front four gets to Ewers a couple of times, and Peasley is able to push across a touchdown or two. Eventually, Wyoming's offense runs dry, and Texas finally hits on their home run plays, which eluded them in the first half, leading to a double-digit win for the Longhorns. But the Cowboys put the nation on notice as one of the scrappiest teams in college football. My predicted final, Texas 28, Wyoming 17. Next, we have Hawaii traveling to Eugene to take on number 13, Oregon, who is a 38-point favorite. After surviving a scare from Wyoming's old friends, Texas Tech, the Ducks hope to have an easier time this week against Hawaii. They have as much talent on their roster as anyone in the country. Superstar Bo Nix is tied for fifth on DraftKings Heisman odds, so that should explain how good he is. They have two dynamic running backs in Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington, who combined for over 2,300 scrimmage yards last year, along with a first-round caliber wide receiver in Troy Franklin and the main pieces of last year's best offensive line, which only allowed 10 sacks all of last year. The defense is still developing, but they have plenty of good players, including linebacker Jeffrey Bassa, who had a pick six to seal their win last week. Hawaii will need to avoid any home run plays, a near impossible task against this explosive Ducks offense. They'll likely need Braden Shager to have a historic day throwing the ball to go toe-to-toe with Bo Nix. My prediction, the Ducks have a knack for blowing out inferior opponents. They rarely struggle in these scenarios, and I don't see this game being any exception. Even if Braden Shager avoids throwing interceptions, it'd be truly stunning if Hawaii slowed Oregon's offense down. They just have too much talent on that side of the ball. I do think the Rainbow Warriors sneakily cover the spread, though. My predicted final, Oregon 56, Hawaii 21. We have a rivalry game with New Mexico State coming to Albuquerque to play New Mexico. It's a real interesting game here for the Rio Grande rivalry. The Aggies have a formidable offensive attack, led by quarterback Diego Pavia in a running attack that has averaged 6.4 yards a carry. Defensively, they aren't as good, allowing 526 yards in their loss at Liberty last week. With New Mexico coming off their biggest offensive output in almost five years, Dylan Hopkins will need to avoid any miscues in a game that will be defined by which team makes them. They'll need to hit some home runs with their running backs, which they certainly did last week against Tennessee Tech. The Lobos will also need their secondary to make plays against the talented but turnover-prone Diego Pavia. My prediction, it's a rivalry game, so you know it'll be close. I think if Dylan Hopkins doesn't turn the ball over, the Lobos have a real good chance at getting the win. It's almost a given that Pavia will throw an interception, and I think New Mexico will capitalize. A revived Lobo offense leads the way to a huge win for Danny Gonzalez and co. My prediction, New Mexico 35, New Mexico State 24. So we have another rivalry game in the Rocky Mountain Showdown with Colorado State visiting Boulder to take on number 18, Colorado. There's a reason college game day is coming to Boulder. The prime effect is real and the buffs look better than they have in years. Shador Sanders has solidified himself as a Heisman candidate and future first-round pick. His weapon 
Falcons have all been making noise. Obviously, Travis Hunter has been incredible on both sides of the ball, but so have transfer pickups Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr., both from USF, and four-star running back Dylan Edwards. The offensive line has allowed 12 sacks through two games and have been ineffective in the run game with 1.7 yards a carry, so that's definitely an issue. The defense is also still a question mark with just two players recording a sack so far in a bottom 10 ranked pass defense. They're prone to make mistakes, but this side of the ball also has an insane influx of transfer talent. Too much for me to name everyone, but a few to watch out for besides Travis Hunter are Derek McClendon, an edge from Florida State, Miles Slusher, the nickel from Arkansas, and of course the other Sanders son, Shiloh Sanders from Jackson State. Anyone on that defense can turn a turnover into a pick six or scoop and score. Braden Fowler Nicolosi will have to avoid turnovers while still getting the ball to his playmakers consistently, and the defense will need to hold its own against a team with NFL talent at all their skill positions. My prediction, by starting a freshman quarterback, the Rams have disrespected the prime family. I'm just kidding, but Jay Norvell is really asking for it with this switch at showrunner. The odds of Colorado State firing on all cylinders offensively and keeping the Buffs offense in check are incredibly low. I'm hoping for a good performance from them with the national spotlight bearing down on them, but it'd be quite the surprise. I think the defense holds their own, but the offense stalls. Shador Sanders continues his rise up the Heisman ranks and leads Colorado to their first Rocky Mountain showdown win on campus since 2005. My prediction, Colorado 45, CSU 20. Our second to last game to go over is Fresno State visiting Tempe to play Arizona State. The Sun Devils have yet to find their rhythm in Kenny Dillingham's first season. The offense has averaged south of 20 points per game so far, led by true freshman quarterback Jaden Rashada and instant impact FCS transfers Cameron Scadabo from Sacramento State and Xavier Guillory from Idaho State. The defense is similarly led by transfers and have been fine through two games but have yet to force a turnover. They won a weird game against Southern Utah 24-21 where they had to pause for almost three hours due to a rain and dust storm and fell by 12 last week to Oklahoma State. The Bulldogs will have to take advantage of ASU's inexperience on the offensive end if they can get some takeaways and Mikey Keene can return to his game one form. Fresno State could definitely beat another Power 5 opponent. My prediction, Fresno State comes to Tempe ready to rumble and the offense gets off to a hot start with Eric Brooks scoring a touchdown for the third straight game. It's a close contest for three quarters, but Cam Lockridge gets his first pick of the year off of Jaden Rashada and takes it to the house, starting an avalanche of a fourth quarter that gives the Bulldogs their second Power 5 win. My prediction, Fresno State 41, Arizona State 28. Our final game to go over is Kansas visiting Reno to take on Nevada for the first time in well over a decade. Kansas has a football team you don't want to face. They return almost every offensive starter, including Heisman caliber quarterback Jalen Daniels and thousand yard rusher Devin Neal. The defense struggled mightily last year, but does return playmakers like corner Kobe Bryant, linebacker safety hybrid Craig Young, and safety Kenny Logan Jr. They beat the pants off of Illinois for three quarters last week, going up 34 to seven, but got stuck in the mud from there on their way to an 11 point victory. The reeling Wolfpack will need the run game to take center stage as the Jayhawks run D was poor last year, as well as containing Jalen Daniels. If Nevada lets Daniels drop highlight after highlight, they have no chance. I'd say they also need their passing game to be somewhat of a threat, but honestly, from what we've seen so far, this isn't realistic. My prediction, after losing to Idaho by 27, the expectations for the Wolfpack have never been lower. Until proven otherwise, they have an offense that can't score through the air and a defense that isn't good enough to make up for their offensive shortcomings. I think Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal have a field day in Reno. Hopefully, 
hopefully Nevada's offense responds to that, but odds are they won't. Jayhawks roll. My prediction, Kansas 48, Nevada 7. Before I let you go, let's hand out this week's Hikes Peak MVP, and we're going to split this one too, just like last week. Lavelle Bailey and Ja'Cory Krosky Merritt, come on down. Ja'Cory Krosky Merritt had arguably the best rushing performance so far from the Mountain West with 162 rushing yards and three touchdowns, and Lavelle Bailey played great and had his second straight game, making the game-winning play this time with his interception on the final play, along with his seven tackles and a tackle for loss. Congrats to both of you. That's it for this episode of the Hikes Peak Podcast. Thank you so much for coming back to the mountain. Make sure to make the trek back here next Tuesday for another brand new episode where we'll break down what happened in week three and get you prepared for week four, which is when a handful of teams finish their non-conference schedule. If you enjoyed the episode, rate the show five stars on whatever platform you're listening on or leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing helps the show out more than that. So any ratings would be greatly appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at MWC Connection and find all of your Mountain West news at MWCConnection.com. Thank you again for listening. It's been a blast covering the conference for these past couple of weeks, and I can't wait to see how the rest of the season will play out. Until next time, I'm Jack Thompson. Enjoy your life.